Good. Good evening. Is your marriage breaking? Is your marriage broken? Do you know someone close to you whose marriage is breaking? My name is George Irwin. This is my wife, Jen. We've been married for 13 years. We're parishioners here at St. Little Mellis. We have three children. Grace is 10, Joanna is five, and James is three. Jen's a talented and gifted teacher here in the Cedar Rapids district, and I work for Verizon Wireless as a major account manager. Jen and I decided to do this talk and really share the depth of our separation to really try and help other couples improve their marriages, both those that are here tonight and those that will be touched by you right after tonight. We hope and pray that the Holy Spirit works through us to touch your hearts and give you the motivation, give you the courage, maybe the perseverance to help yourselves and help other couples. So did you, you have cards in the pews and a pencil? Great. So when I say success, would you write down two words that come to mind? Success. Now when I say successful life, what few words come to mind? See, if you're anything like me over the years, success and successful life were not synonymous. But after a lot of thought and a lot of prayer, ultimate success Ultimate successful life for me will be the Lord saying at the end of my life, George, you are my beloved with whom I am well pleased. Do you notice he said beloved and not loved? Right? Beloved synonyms. Dearly loved, darling, dearest, precious, adored, esteemed. So successful life for me, and I believe a successful life for any husband or wife, should be to hear those words from our spouse as well. Couples here tonight, you can, or can you, excuse me, can you honestly look at each other in the eyes and say, you are my beloved wife with whom I am well pleased. You are my dearest, you are my cherished, So our journey together, like many couples, began as two imperfect human beings focused on success instead of what I like to say are human becomings instead of human beings focused on cherishing each other and living a successful life. So our story starts when George and I met at the University of Northern Iowa during our college years. 
Starting college, I was, I was excited to finally make my own decisions, explore career options, and hopefully find that perfect someone to complete my life. However, as I started my junior year as an art education major, I was getting a little impatient for finding Mr. Wright because most of my friends were either engaged or in uh, long-term relationships. I also, marriage and starting a family had always been one of my strongest desires growing up. I had gotten involved at St. Stephen's Catholic Student Center and that was pretty much my social life throughout college. Every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. there was a student mass and it was pretty well attended. So on the first Wednesday night of my junior year, I was walking into church and I spotted George as I was walking in. He was tall, dark hair, and somebody knew him. He was talking with a friend of mine inside and I decided to go up and introduce myself. I started liking this guy because he was Catholic, smart, ambitious, personable, and had high morals and values. And as we got to know each other, we had many things in common, and I really wanted to be more than just friends. But he wasn't as eager as I was to start a relationship. I was a freshman. <laughs> my very first Wednesday of, of my freshman year. All right, some of you guys are like, uh-huh. Um, I was far more interested in staying single, um, focusing on my school, focusing on work, enjoying my college experience, whatever that was going to be, right? However, after a month, George agreed to go on a date with me, and we were engaged about two years later. During our engagement and in dating years, we continued to be very involved at the Catholic Student Center. That was the center of our relationship. We enjoyed being together and dreaming of what life would be like once we were married. During our marriage preparation, we knew that divorce would never be an option. We were a strong couple who believed in God, had a great faith foundation, and we thought that we could get through any obstacle with ease because we always had God on our side. So we had a big Catholic wedding on a hot July day at St. Stephen's. Um, more or less, our, everything, our relationship was built around the faith and our community there. So our ceremony had a lot of meaningful parts incorporated into it. One of our good friends who was about 75 or 80 helped us bake unleavened bread for our ceremony. We used our own prayer candles as the candles to light our unity candle. Most of our guests were family or close friends from the St. Stephen's community. We were looking forward to living together and spending time with each other since we're always on the go and doing college things. But our first year of marriage was not typical. George was still in school because he was younger and he worked as a peer minister at the church um, during the school year. He was either gone most nights or studying. I was working in preschool teaching two and three year olds hoping and looking for a full-time art teaching position. I was lonely at night and bored. We lived in a tiny on-campus apartment and married life was not the romantic be with each other kind of every night kind of life that I had anticipated. George seemed to put his other requirements above me. So in December, six months after our wedding, I decided to accept a teaching position back in my hometown of Solon, teaching high school art. I moved back in with my parents, yes, I was married, moved back in with my parents during the week and went up to visit George on the weekends at UNI. We decided this was best since he was busy most of the time anyways. We did this for a year until George moved back down to Solon and we moved to Lisbon and he's taught eighth grade science and coached basketball in Mount Vernon. I also decided to get my master's my first year of teaching. 
But again, we kept our busy lifestyle of getting involved in activities. We joined the parish in Mount Vernon, and George served on the education board and was a sponsor for RCIA. I was a part of the remodeling committee, environment committee, and we were Eucharistic ministers. So we really didn't go on dates much because we actually enjoyed being home with each other since we're out doing our own individual activities at church and school. We were also pretty frugal. Anybody a teacher? Okay. You know what I'm talking about. We're also pretty frugal. New teachers, teacher salaries. We had a tight budget, of course. So my expectations of marriage were that a husband and wife continued to date each other even after the wedding vows were said. We'd either be cooking dinner together, going for nightly walks or runs, praying together, reading together, or doing any other some sort of spontaneous date. But I kept thinking, well, once George is done with school and my masters are over, life will get better and slow down so we can spend more time together. But that was not the case. My parents, Mark and Roseanne Sandersfeld, had been married for 40 years and they had always been very involved in marriage encounter my entire childhood. They were a good example of how a married couple should act and communicate with each other. Yes, they had their arguments like most couples, but they knew how to communicate with each other to solve any marital challenges that arose. So I had high expectations for how a married couple should act and treat each other. George and I had read the book, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman when we were engaged, and he knew my love language was quality time. I had an ideal for what I thought married life was supposed to be like, and the first two years were not living up to that ideal. Sure, I think we had a good marriage, but I expected a lot more in how George showed his love to me. I, on the other hand, had, uh, didn't have a model of what a husband should act like. My parents divorced when I was seven and my dad moved to Reno, Nevada. And even those uh, early years when they were married, I really don't remember a whole lot. So I quickly learned who I did not want to be like, right? There's role models and there's people you don't want to be like. That was my dad. I focused on being the best I could in school and sports. I worked numerous jobs trying to be the best young man and older brother possible. I developed a really self-reliant, almost a DIY, a do-it-yourself attitude. I was top of my class in high school, graduated summa cum laude in at UNI and had a great wife. I mean, really life at this point in my mind was great. So when challenges and arguments and disagreements started to happen in our marriage, I just figured that's normal. I'll figure it out like I've figured everything else out myself. Uh, we're good people, we go to church, we're involved in many faith-based activities and, and we'll be just fine. Once we both had full-time teaching positions, I thought that would solve some of the communication challenges that we had as well as hopefully spending more time together in the evenings. I am one who likes to keep my work at school. Rarely do I ever bring anything home because I feel that that's my time with my family and my husband. I made sure that all the cleaning, cooking, laundry, shopping, and bill paying were all taken care of so that way George could just focus on school because I knew he always put 100% effort into his education. And I wanted to simplify his extra house duties so that way when we did have time together, it was true quality time. But I told you, school's right, always been my main focus. I took pride in now being an excellent teacher. I would come home and eat dinner with Jen, and then we'd watch Friends. Right now it's like Big Bang Theory, but Friends back then, okay? Uh, and then I would drive back the whole mile to school and work till 9 or 10 o'clock most evenings, not to mention Saturdays and Sundays. I guess you would call me at that point in my life a workaholic. I didn't realize it. 
but um, that's, that's basically what, what it was. But of course, you know, I didn't see it that way. In my mind, I was just doing what I could to be a great teacher. Uh, coaching and teaching were, were really fun. They were, they were good. And I was so consumed in my work, in my, own, in my own world. And yes, I was married to her, but my students and teaching were absolutely my focus and my priority, even to the detriment of her and, and her feelings. So George's lack of attention and spending quality time with me really started to get to me. My communication tactic back then was to just ignore and shut down. How could he not know what was wrong? If he would ask, I wouldn't respond. Can't he see that I'm upset and irritated? I started keeping a mental score of everything that I was doing. I'm the one working full time and taking care of all the household chores. And I'm getting my master's. He is only working and putting way too much time into teaching. Also during this time, I was having some health challenges. And my husband, who should have been there for me, didn't seem to show much empathy or concern. I felt alone during the struggling time, and he, I really needed his love and support. So the scorekeeping started, and the blaming, and it was rearing its ugly head as the years went on in our marriage. So I definitely had blinders on. What can I say? All I knew was to focus and do my best. And I think many men are really good with this. My best and success in teaching meant giving it all, doing whatever it took, investing my time, my energy, and, and our money to ensure my students succeeded. My mind was absolutely not consumed with her, and her feelings, and her emotions, and that narrow, narrow focus and single-mindedness really prevented me from ever, well, mo most of the time, ever being truly present to her mentally and emotionally. Most of our disagreements and arguments were centered on her emotional outbursts and my really lack of emotional engagement. So my expectations of marriage kept getting further and further from what I thought married life was supposed to be like. Sure, I knew George loved me, but he wasn't showing it in the ways that I needed. And reflecting back now, I know I wasn't showing it in the ways he needed as well. I kept thinking, well, once we're living together again, and he's done teaching, with, done teaching his first year, things will get better. Or once we have a baby, or once he leaves teaching and joins the financial services world so that way I can be a stay-at-home mom. And I kept going on and on and on like that, our six years of marriage. Our thinking about marriage was a worldly view of marriage. Once we achieve these things and successes, we will be happy. Or once we're making more money, we'll be happy and, of course, life will slow down. So yes, after a whole seven months of teaching and realizing I was putting away more hours than Jen wanted me to, and that I was never going to really earn enough for her to stay home with our firstborn, um, we decided a career change be, would be best. So I started with a financial education and services company. Things were going very well the first eight to nine months. Jen was able to stay home with Grace, our firstborn. I was paid on 100% commission, and the pressures started mounting since we had a mortgage, a car payment, student loans, and of course all the other normal household expenses, and I was the sole breadwinner. I felt so much pressure to work and work and work, especially because Jen worked alongside me in the business and knew every detail, right? She was constantly coaching and nagging me for results. My ways and actions were never, never right, were never good enough. I felt disrespected and unappreciated, and I had to keep my head down, right? 
kind of that folk side, to keep my head down and do my best anyway. The more families I served, the more money we made. And happier she was, but the less time we had together. 100% commission was very stressful because I was constantly networking, constantly searching for clients. The financial and family challenges started growing and growing. I kept thinking, how could a man, husband, and father not provide a great quality of life for his family? I really started resenting George and everything that he did. It was never good enough. And even at times at night or during the day when we could enjoy time together as a family with our daughter Grace, I kept thinking, you shouldn't be here. You need to be out making money. Get a second job, whatever's needed. We need to put bills on the, food on the table and pay a few critical bills. And I kept thinking and reflecting on our wedding day. And I never thought in a million years that that would have been us. A strong, faith-filled couple who believed in God, served the church, and never skipped Mass. I had painted a picture in my mind of what I thought married life was supposed to be like. I set expectations, but I never really told George what I needed. I was selfish, and I only cared about my happiness. My prayer life also seemed to take a back seat during this time, and if I was praying, it was that we'd have enough money to buy groceries or pay, a few, pay our rent so we would not get evicted. We'd already maxed out all of our credit cards on necessities like groceries and gas. We were months past two on all of our utility bills, cell phone bills, student loans, car payment, and rent. So I began thinking, maybe this marriage isn't meant to be. Maybe there is somebody else out there more suited to make me happy. And it was all about me, me, and me. I didn't care how George felt. I only cared about myself and Grace and providing a great quality of life for her. So I started thinking, how could I provide for her 100% on my own and not rely on George? I planned out to the penny what it would cost for me to provide for her 100%. I picked up a third shift night job doing in-home care for the elderly overnight, and I was subbing during the day as a substitute teacher. Grace was three now, so she was in preschool. I planned out to the penny what it would cost for her and I to live on our own. I sold everything that I could to make extra cash. I even sold my wedding ring so I could put new tires on my car that winter. And even though I had, I had also, sorry, I was working harder to get out of this marriage relationship instead of working hard to keep it. And I had gone on some dates with other men, and I have to admit, it felt really nice being noticed again. And even though I had not had a physical affair with anyone, I was in many, many emotional affairs, which is just as bad. And these men agreed that I should not be with somebody who would not put my needs first. I was a strong, independent woman during this time who believed she deserved the best. I only heard and saw what I wanted to hear, and I tuned out all the advice from family and friends who wanted George and I to work things out. And I tuned into the worldviews instead. And I focused on my needs and my desires. My prayer life was non-existent, and I was just hoping that I'd have the courage to file divorce paperwork. So I wanted to make things work, of course, really bad, and through a lot of reflection before we actually got married, before I proposed, I felt called to be a great dad someday, since my own dad was never around for my brother and I growing up. However, after much prayer and reading books like God Help Me with uh, some of our Men of Action people, it's actually God Help Me Grow in Prayer, but the God Help Me was exactly what I needed. Or Be a Man by Father Larry Richards, and our small men's group made a big difference. And it finally hit me. I really only looked at my experiences 
from a child's point of view. I never thought about being called to be a great husband someday, like my dad wasn't for my mom. I never considered learning how to love as a husband. I was a great guy, great man of faith, but to be honest, a resounding gong or a clashing cymbal. And I finally realized it. Now as a husband praying for answers, I saw with clarity the critical importance of being a great husband who needed to focus on Jim. I asked her to go for, to counseling with me. We went to a Catholic counselor. We actually met with a former deacon at St. Stephen's. We, uh, we even attended a marriage encounter weekend in Wisconsin that luckily my in-laws paid for. Jen, of course, resented them for it and told them it would do no good. But the weekend forced me to completely focus on her and listen to her written words and feelings. She was in an extremely dark place. I knew we needed some serious divine intervention and um, complete focus on my part in making her feel loved. She left the weekend still completely empty, indifferent, and absolutely determined to uh, continue down her own path. During these times of meeting with counselors and our old deacon and feeling forced on that marriage encounter weekend like George had said, I knew I wanted out of this marriage. I was reading books from the library already on coping with divorce and how to be a single mom. I focused all the a on all the aspects of how George was not a good husband and how he had disappointed me so much over the years. And when we arrived at the marriage encounter retreat, the couple that greeted us told us that unfortunately most of the rooms had single beds. I was ecstatic to hear this because George and I already had separate rooms in our house and I could not even stand. That was one reason I didn't want to go on the retreat is because we'd have to be forced to share a bed. However, God had other plans because the person who was checking us in said, congratulations, you're one of the couples that, five couples that gets a double bed for this weekend. <laughs> um, but even during this weekend, after sharing so much, I realized that I had felt so unloved, alone, and not taken care of for many years, that again, I started focusing on what my future would hold without George in it. So we continued to reside in the same house. She worked her a couple jobs, Grace went to preschool, and we, well, she really only communicated with me about groceries and who was watching Grace at certain times. She was, uh, well, we, we had our own groceries. As she mentioned, we had separate bedrooms. Um, she was pretty unfriendly roommate, pretty negative person at that time. I still held out hope. I'm, I'm always way too optimistic, and um, I still held out hope and, and faith somehow that we could work it out. So at that time, I decided to invest in the book Love Dare. Has anyone ever seen the movie Fireproof? Okay, it's based on the book Love Dare. So every day I would do something for Jen out of that book, really only to get shot down and eyes rolled at. But I went all 40 days, as, uh, as it said, and of course she did not acknowledge any of my efforts. I'd never been one to quit, thankfully, and I really wasn't ready to give up, even though she was really cold, cold stone, stoic. Um, but. I was really putting thought and emotion into making her my top priority, and it was really a transformation of me during this time. And thankfully, um, 
Mycin system mass attendance, all right, the strength of the Eucharist, and um, gave me courage to stay committed and focused on being a true husband. I started to change as a man and a husband. My narrow-mindedness and uh, blinders were now focused on her, even though she didn't want it. I'd never done this before and was really ashamed because she deserved so much better over those years. I continued to hold on to hope, but was really kind of beginning to face the reality that our marriage was over. My mind often went back to Paul's words, though, in Philippians. Love bears all things, believes, hopes, and endures. And love never fails. I knew that was God's love, but I was praying that would completely intercede in our relationship. But really, how could I change her and her feelings? She was dead set on ending our marriage and was getting divorce papers prepared. Of course, she had started looking for a new place to live, uh, once our lease was up, and, and um, so I had to do the same. I was looking forward to putting an end to the past six years, and especially the past year of our marriage. I could not stand being in the same room with George or even looking at him. Finally, we were ready to sign our individual leases, move on, and start a new life. Until I actually had to sign that lease. Something just did not feel right. And in my gut, I was wondering if what I was doing was in the best interest of Grace, our daughter. And I have to say... She's the reason it took almost over a year to work on filing divorce paperwork. And if it wasn't for her, I know George and I would not be here today because it would have been a lot easier to walk away from our marriage. I never wanted to raise a daughter in a broken home. But with all that had happened and the disappointment from George, I thought getting a divorce was the best option. However, I just couldn't go through with it. So I went outside on that June day where George was sitting and I said, I can't do it. I was starting to see through George's actions that he could possibly love me in the ways that I needed. And in turn, I saw that he was making an effort, and I started respecting him more. I told him that I couldn't sign this lease to my own place, and he looked at me, absolutely shocked. But after boxing and separating our things, something just was not right. God was speaking to me, and I see now that the Holy Spirit and divine intervention is what saved our marriage and changed our, my heart. I remember saying that I truly never tried to work things out these past few years. And if I had, would our marriage change? Could we work things out and live the life that God intended our marriage to be? Could George truly love me in the ways that I needed? And could I respect the man that God had blessed me with and who I saw George becoming? I didn't know either, of course, but I was beyond surprised um, with what I was hearing. I still remember that day. Uh, but she basically gave me an ultimatum. That, but you know, I would have taken about anything at that time to keep our family together. She said she would put the whole past behind her and not have any thought, negative thoughts about me for three months. You heard me, three months. I didn't. It was, it was hard to believe, but I took it, right? I took it. So, right? She said, I've got to put her first. Tried to, right? That we would work on our marriage ahead of everything else in our life. And there's no doubt that happened with the grace of God in our lives and on our sides. Yes, it was the grace of God and the many prayers of others who we either knew or didn't know that were praying for us during this time. And even though it did seem like an ultimatum that I gave him, I really did want to have no negativity towards George and work on our marriage. And I wanted to work on our marriage. Forgiveness flowed out of me that day. 
after harboring all the bad things that George had either said or done to me. And thankfully, he forgave me for my actions and emotional infidelity. So we moved into a smaller 700 square foot duplex together. We wanted to save money and pay off all the debt that we had accumulated over the years. And come to think of it, this place was about the same size as our first apartment together on the UNI campus, except this time we had a four-year-old with us. But the type of house and size did not matter. The next three months were like nothing that, like George and I had ever experienced, even when we were dating and engaged, or during our marriage. I chose to see the good in George, our marriage, and our family. We put our mar marriage above everything else. We dated, not, we dated again, we talked nonstop, were playful, and enjoyed growing our marriage with our daughter by our side. George changed careers to technology sales so he could focus on our marriage, and I continued to sub and I quit the night job. We also pulled back our involvement in church during this time and decided to keep it that way for a few more years to focus on our marriage. And one of the most important things we did was that every three months we would get away, leave the house, the chores, the work, the kids, just the two of us, and leave and go to some other city. So that way we could focus on our marriage and have God as the center. And sometimes during these weekends, God blesses us with new life because Joanna and James were added to our family during this time of renewal. Now, life is still extremely busy with three kids, but we do our best to choose, it really is a choice, um, choose daily to prioritize each other and our family. Our family prayer life is simple. We love eating at the table together, praying together at the table, and of course at bedtime. We choose to invest that time, energy, and money in our relationship. We've invested in quality books to really take time to understand how to communicate and how God designed husband and wife to love each other and to respect each other. Ephesians 5.33, Paul writes, In any case, each one of you should love his wife as himself, and the wife should respect her husband. Us men are commanded to love because we don't always do it naturally. And women, we're commanded to respect because we don't respect naturally. So two incredible books are The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman and uh, Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson Egrich. And I think they're on your sheet. We put some of our resources that helped us on the sheet. So Gary Chapman describes five love languages or dialects. Think of someone who speaks English in the United States versus Scotland. It's still English, but you don't really understand it. Follow me? Right? It talks about how people like to give and receive love, quality time, acts of service, receiving gifts, physical touch, and words of affirmation are the five love languages. And most of the time, spouses have complete opposite love languages. Right? Opposites attract. That's what attracted us together when we were dating, but now drives us nuts when we're married and have to live our life together. See, my, our example is... I express my love with kisses and physical touch and back rubs. That's how I like to express love, and that's also how I like to receive love. But her way of loving is not physical touch. I feel loved when George spends quality time with me or does acts of service. It's not natural for me to go up and give George a hug or a kiss or as I'm walking by, rub his back or even holding his hand on the couch. I know it seems absurd, but it is. It's, I have to consciously think of what George needs and think about his 
uh, needs and desires at that time. Something else I learned after reading the Love and Respect book is how a man desires respect. Reading this book was the biggest aha moment that I had had about our marriage. I realized that how I was treating George all of those years was truly tearing him apart. How did I think that when I said things like, you're not the man I thought you were and how come you can't work harder, would not have an effect on him? How was he supposed to respond lovingly to me with those barrage of comments? He wasn't. Even facial expressions, tones, criticisms, and scolding are so disrespectful, and I am guilty on all of the above. And even though I felt like he didn't deserve respect, I was never going to feel loved. I believe that George had to earn respect at that, back at that time. But this is not what God calls us to do. This crazy cycle, as they call it in the book, will more than likely end up with a couple getting divorced, and that's just where George and I were headed, until he made the first move to stop it. By doing those 40 days of loving acts, for me, he chose to see the good in me and love me even when I was disrespecting him constantly. George truly was meeting my heartfelt desire of love, and I began to see God working in him. So is success or a successful life more important? What you individually and as a couple invest your time, energy, and money into, that's what we have, time, energy, and money, what you invest it into become most important, period. Honest question for you to share with each other. As of your marriage today, has your time, energy, and money investments put you on a path to achieving success or actually living a successful life that God intended for your family and your marriage? Men, men, please prioritize your wife every single day. I finally realized that my primary vocation ministry in this life is to her and our kids and our salvation. For many years, I was doing many other good things and always striving for success, always striving to make a difference. But she wasn't my focus. Today, men, I challenge you to consider your thoughts, your actions, and your words. Are they focused on your wife? I challenge you to pray for her to think about what she needs to truly be filled with marital love and joy. I challenge you to be vulnerable and trust your wife's love and direction. Men, doing it ourselves, a DIY attitude that's promoted everywhere in our world today. As individuals and couples, doing it ourselves as couples, I believe will only lead to darkness and emptiness. We need Christ. We need Christ in the Eucharist and the other sacraments. Couples, we need each other and Christ working through each other. And we need our faith communities. Vows alone will not take us through our marriage. Not our new careers, our new cars, our new jobs, our, our awesome kids, new homes. We now do our best to work on our marriage in light of God's love and teachings and, and continue to fall more in love most days, most days. <laughs> and we've really felt called to, to share our story. I'm sure some of you have shared yours. But we wanted to provide a marriage ministry 
right, to our faith community, to St. Ludomilus, to the Catholic community, to any couples in the Cedar Rapids area. So we started date night, as Carol had mentioned. It's, it's a simple monthly gathering of married couples where we get together to, to grow stronger in Christ, Christ in our marriages, Christ in each other, to grow deeper roots, because there's, we're married, right? You guys are all married. We know married couples. Guess what married couples have? Problems, period. Everybody does. But how do we grow deeper roots so when those problems come, right, we're ready? There will be crisis in marriage. It is inevitable. But it takes tremendous faith, courage, and fortitude and being obedient to God to get through those times. It doesn't matter how involved you are, even in good activities. George and I were involved in many faith faith we had a great faith foundation and were involved in many faith-based activities, but we didn't make time for each other as much as we'd like. We let our couple prayer life fade away and we focused on worldly successes. George and I still have challenging times, but we choose how long we are in that crisis mode. We have a great support of married couples and our prayer life to help us through. Yes, it is difficult to forgive, especially if you have felt wronged for so many years. But God calls each of us to love unconditionally. And if you'd ask us right now if we regret anything that we had went through, our answer would be no. Our experiences have brought us closer together than even prior to our wedding day. Marriage is a commitment and a sacrament that George and I made to each other and hope that those of you who are married can live out that sacrament as God intended it to be. George, you truly are my beloved husband with whom I'm well pleased. And Jen, you are my beloved wife with whom I'm well pleased. Thank you.